Good afternoon. It is good to be here uh, again. It's good to be able to travel and see some of our physical family, but it is certainly a blessing to have our spiritual family here. We are thankful for each and every one of you. And also say that we're thankful to have another member in our, our spiritual family here. I uh, appreciate Judy and I'm thankful to, to have her with us and uh, hope that we can be an encouragement and support to her as well as, as her to us. We, we started talking two weeks ago about the concept of local church membership as that's a topic that's very applicable to us at this time uh, and each of us as members of this congregation in general. And we talked about the, the what, the why, and the how of local church membership, uh, the definition, the, the demand, and the determination of it. And I, I don't know if I communicated it as effectively as I wanted to two weeks ago and, and explained expressing some of that from the scriptures, but, but I hope what we took away from that is that local church membership is not man's idea. It's not man's design. Uh, it is God's design. It's inherent in our relationship with one another as a body, as a flock, uh, and it is part of fulfilling our role to God's people. Uh, God's design is that we form local flocks, that we join ourselves, knit ourselves together to a specific group uh, of brethren. But today, I hope that we can go beyond mere definition and start talking a little bit more about application. How does this apply to me? Uh, as I seek to join myself to some group of God's people uh, and be wise in, in making that decision, once I make that commitment, what, what does that involve? And so we're going to look today at the blessings and responsibilities of ch local church membership, church membership 102, if you will. And I think what we'll see is that local church membership is not just some obligation in God's design for his people, but it's something that we should genuinely desire, that there are great blessings in that type of relationship as God designed it. And yet, ultimately, we can't have those blessings without fulfilling the responsibilities that go along with that as well. And so we're going to talk about the local church today, specifically in the context of being a family, also being a body, and as we focused on to a large extent in our last lesson, being a flock of God's people. Let's start by talking about some of the blessings of local church membership. First of all, I think we see throughout the scriptures that as a family of God's people, uh, we are to have this familial relationship with our brethren, uh, especially in a local sense. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. We'll see throughout the scriptures that we can have the love and support of a local spiritual family. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Here in context, we just see Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. And how the rich young ruler, when told that he needed to sell all that he had, give to the poor, and come follow Jesus, he went away sorrowful. And Jesus makes the statement after that point that it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And notice in verse 28, Peter's response. He says, Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. In verse 29 and 30, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or farms for my sake, and for the gospel's sake, 
but that he will receive a hundred times as much. Now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Here Jesus says you may have to sacrifice a great deal. You may lose some physical family relationships. You may be ostracized by your physical family. You may, in persecution, have to give up uh, your home, your property. You may not have a place to lay your head. However, verse 30, he says, but you will receive a hundred times as much, a hundredfold, uh, a great and plentiful harvest of brothers and sisters, mothers, children, houses, farms. Well, what is Jesus talking about here? Is Jesus here preaching a health and wealth gospel? You notice the very next phrase that he uses, he says, along with persecutions. Physically speaking, we're going to have to go through persecutions and through hardships, and I think what he is focusing on here is more spiritual in nature. That in becoming part of God's people, in becoming a disciple of Christ, we inherit brothers and sisters and mothers and homes, Although we may not have a place to lay our head, we may not have the physical provisions uh, for, for our lives, we may be ostracized by our families, we can know that we have brothers and sisters in our spiritual family who are willing to open up their home, provide from their table for us, who are able to take care of us uh, and take us in as their own. I think that's what Jesus here is focusing on. You know, earlier in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 3, in verses 34 and 35, when Jesus' mothers and brothers came to seek him out, and as he is being surrounded by this multitude, they, they send word into him, uh, and they say, your, your mothers and brothers are here to see you. What, what does Jesus respond? He looks around at his disciples and says, these are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my God is my brother and sister and mother. And so we can have a spiritual bond with one another as family. A spiritual bond that really goes deeper than any physical bond of family. Because this bond is not just some f familial sense of attachment, but is a bond that comes from the love of God, our heavenly patriarch in this family. We also see this concept in 1, Peter, 1 Timothy rather, chapter 5. Verse 1 and 2, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here, Paul, in instructing Timothy, tells him to appeal to older men as fathers, to younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters and all purity. The way in which we are to interact with one another on a number of levels should reflect a familial relationship. Now, you may... Uh, be familiar with people saying, well, brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so. I, I think it is good that we consider each other in that way, but we, we need to get beyond just thinking of brother as some formal title that somebody wears. That needs to be a description of the type of relationship that I have with that person. It's not just some title that I use. We need to genuinely be treating one another as brothers and sisters, and that's much more important than calling them such. I, I normally, when I talk to my physical brother, don't say Brother Eric. Um, so I, I don't think that's necessary that we, that we do that. But I think we need to treat each other in that way. That's what God desires of us. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 14, 
At the end of Peter's first epistle, he concludes by telling them, greet one another with a kiss of love. Paul, in many of his letters, says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I think we understand that there is some cultural context there that is different than our uh, American culture today. Uh, I don't think we necessarily need to uh, apply this in a literal sense that we all need to be kissing one another when, when we come in the door. But I think we need to recognize that there's still a command here. There's still a principle that must be applied here. And the principle is that we need to reflect a familial love with one another and the type of relationship that we share and the type of way that we greet one another um, that is reflecting of the love of Christ, the love of this spiritual family that we, by God's grace, are able to take part in. And so... We see that in becoming a member of a local family, I have that blessing. I have that blessing of a spiritual family to take me in as a brother, as a sister, to help encourage me and support me, even if my physical family uh, disowns me. We see that I can have brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers within the Lord, and that's grounded in the love of God, the patriarch of this heavenly family. But in addition to that, as we look at the church as a body, we can have the spiritual nourishment provided within the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 is perhaps the passage that most thoroughly addresses this illustration of the church as a body. We see in verse 14, he says, the body is not one member, but many. And later on in verse 18, it says, God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. God designed his people to function as a body, to be knit together that they might grow, that they might function effectively as a unit, and that they might have many different roles, many different strengths and weaknesses. In verse 21 and 22 of this passage, Paul writes, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. As God designed it, brethren, we need one another. I, I need each and every one of you to help me grow. God designed it that we might function and grow together. If we look at another passage with the same illustration in Ephesians chapter 4, I think we see the end goal of this a little more clearly. Ephesians 4 verse 15 and 16. Here we read, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects, and to him who is head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God's design is that each joint, each ligament, each tendon, each little piece might function together to help this body grow, to help it be nourished. And brethren, we cannot grow and develop spiritually the way that God wants us to if we are not attached to our brethren as God designed us to be if we are not knit together as a body 
We, we need our eyes to find the nourishment, our feet to take us there, our hands to pick it up and put it in our mouth, our, our teeth to chew it, and the rest of the body to digest it and put it into practice. We, we can't be nourished just by ourselves on our own. Imagine for a moment if uh, you came into this assembly week after week and you were the only one here. And you sat here and you prayed and you sang, and you studied from God's word, and then you got up and you went home. Would you be very effectively encouraged and nourished by that? Certainly we need times of personal devotion and worship and prayer, and God designed that we might have that type of personal relationship with him. And yet God designed the assembly that I might be able to come here and not just hear myself sing, not just study on my own, but but to be encouraged and built up by others. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, we're told that we are to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as it is the habit of some, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And so I, within this body, can have that nourishment, can have others to build me up, to encourage me, to consider how they might stir me up to love and do good works. But also as we think about the illustration of the flock that we focused on a good bit in our last lesson, we can have the protection and the guidance of a flock. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the first few verses of that chapter focuses to a large extent on this idea of the local flock, specifically instructing the shepherds as they oversee the souls of that flock. But later on in verse 8, it talks about the devil as a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. And I think in that chapter, we see this uh, idea of the the flock seeking protection with its shepherds and with one another against the foe that seeks to devour us. And so as God designed it, um, we should have others looking out for our soul. Specifically, in, in an established congregation with qualified shepherds, we can have those who are overseeing us with, with a certain measure of authority and looking out to keep our souls uh, accountable. And even in the absence of that, we'll see we also can be accountable to one another. We should have others who are examples to the flock, uh, who can be role models for us, for our children, as we seek to grow. In the passage that we read just a moment ago in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you want to turn back there, talks about the, the value of numbers, the strength in numbers. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 9, we read, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. Point number one, verse 9, we can be more effective in the Lord's work. We are fellow workers, and we can have a greater return in our labor. We can be more successful in furthering the Lord's purposes as we work side by side. Verse 10, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. As I have these relationships with one another, I, I can have a certain protection that if I fall, if I am vulnerable... Uh, If I give in to some temptation, I have somebody else who is there to keep me accountable, to reach out, to pick me up. In verse 11, furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? 
You might think in a more spiritual application in the dark, cold nights of life. As we grow discouraged, as we feel alone, we have the warmth of our brethren to comfort, to encourage our hearts. And in verse 12, we see, uh, as we apply this spiritually, an illustration of, of the spiritual battles that we face. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. The cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. We are not only fellow workers, we are fellow soldiers. We can be comrades in arms as we fight the spiritual battles that we face from day to day. And so God's design is that I can have that type of relationship. I can have others to reach out when I fall. I can have others to to encourage me when I am down uh, and in times of grief or sorrow. I can have others who will strengthen me in the spiritual battles that I face. I can have others who will help me as I pursue the work of the Lord uh, and shining God's light to those around me. And so... Church membership is not just some obligation. We see that it is something that I should deeply desire. I should desire to have those type of relationships for my spiritual growth and well-being. But with those blessings come responsibilities. I think what we're going to see is the responsibilities mirror the blessings. If I want those blessings, I have to be willing to give those blessings as well. If I want the love and support of a spiritual family, what do you think I need to do? Well, I need to be giving that love and support to my spiritual family. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 22, Peter writes, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. What, what is Peter saying there? Since you have... Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. I think the basis of what he's saying is since you have been transformed to reflect the character of God, since you have been born into the family of God, you need to reflect the love of God. You need to reflect the family values. If we have been blessed to enter into this relationship, with the Lord, we then need to offer that love, that support, that encouragement to others. We need to love each other with a fervent, passionate, and sacrificial love of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, if you'd like to turn your Bibles there, we actually just read uh, verse 4 as we considered um, Jesus' death in the Lord's Supper. But I want I want you to notice the beginning of this chapter. Philippians chapter 2. I, I think many times when I go to this passage, I, I'll quote verse 3 and 4, because uh, that's where we get maybe more of the application, and I kind of skip over verse 1 and 2. But notice the basis for what he is saying here, starting in verse 1. Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. This is an if-then statement. What, What is the if? What, what is the basis for which he says we should do these things? In verse 1, he says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion. 
then you need to have such an attitude towards one another to promote these things. If we want the encouragement of Christ, if we want the love, the the comfort, the fellowship that is made available to us within the body of Christ, then we need to be giving that to others. We need to have the type of attitude that isn't just focused, well, are you giving me the fellowship that I want and are you giving me the comfort and encouragement that I want? If we want that type of relationship, we have to be the ones who step up and don't focus on self, but rather focus on serving others. To be more in tune to others' wants and needs than our own. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, we're told, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not only do we need to be devoted to God, first and foremost, we need to be devoted to one another. To one another in service and in showing honor. Just as within a physical family, a husband is to to put the needs of his wife before himself, and a wife is to put the needs of her husband before herself. Just as parents are to put the needs of their children before themselves. In our spiritual family, we need to be putting the needs of one another before ourselves. If I want that kind of blessing, of this spiritual family as God designed it, I need to be one who is reflecting that love, reflecting that selfless concern for others. But also as we consider the blessings of being in the body of Christ, we have a responsibility of nourishing the other members of our body. Remember we read in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. We might look at that and say, well, that sounds pretty good. I have so-and-so to help me and -and so-and-so to help me. What about me? Am I doing my part? I'm, I'm included in there. Every joint, every part doing its proper work. And so I have a responsibility to help nourish and encourage, I have a role to play. Romans chapter 12, if you'd like to turn there for a moment. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4, again we see uh, briefly this illustration of of the body. We read in verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. It goes on in verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We're not all going to be the same part. We're not all going to have the same gifts or abilities. There are going to be tasks that somebody else is going to be able to fill much better than I can. I I couldn't have fixed that heater. Jason fixed it. (laughs) You know, we we each have a a different role uh, in seeking to encourage and build up one another. But I need to make sure that I'm filling mine. Whatever my talents are, whatever my ability, whatever my role is, I can't bury those talents in the ground and expect everybody else to use their talents to help me. I need to dig that talent up, whatever it is, and I need to be using it to encourage, to build up. I think 
this is probably an appropriate time to mention that an empty chair cannot encourage, cannot edify, cannot help nourish. What we're describing here is, is much, much more than being present. But we can't do it if we're not present. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, as we already mentioned, tells us that we are to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. We have an obligation not to forsake our brethren. The, the description of membership within Christ's body is not like membership at my local library. It's not like membership in the PTA. This is like being a member of a physical body. That I am to be knit together. That I am there to encourage, to nourish, to help grow. That is what this should look like. What does it mean to forsake our assembling together? We've talked about this recently in talking about developing a passion for the assembly. But later on in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does the word forsake mean there? Well, I I certainly hope that in that context it means more than I'll I'll come back eventually. (laughs) No, God, when he says I'll never leave you or forsake you, means I'm going to fulfill my responsibility. I'm going to fulfill my promise in this case to take care of you, to look over you, to watch out for you. What does it mean to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? It is to neglect our responsibility to encourage, to nourish, to build up our brethren. Imagine, back to the family illustration, imagine you as a member of your family, as maybe a a father or a mother, left. Didn't tell anybody where you're going. And for a few weeks, you were gone and your place at the dinner table was empty. How long would you have to be gone before you had forsaken your family? We recognize in that context, we have a responsibility. We have a role. And yes, you may go on a business trip. There may be, at times, legitimate reasons that you are separated from your family. But you have a responsibility. You have a role to fulfill there. And brethren, the family of God, the body of Christ, is no different. In fact, we we have a a great spiritual bond there that that Jesus tells us even goes deeper than that of our physical family. And so we need to recognize that responsibility to be an active member of this working family. Body And that goes beyond the assembly itself. Hebrews 3 and verse 13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Our our obligation here extends beyond these four walls. And yet if we're not doing it here when we have a very straightforward opportunity to, um, can we really say that we will be fulfilling that obligation beyond uh, this assembly? But thirdly, as we look at the illustration of the flock, we have an obligation, a responsibility to protect our fellow sheep. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, If any of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves, lest you also be tempted. 
bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. It's not just, you know, shepherds' responsibility to look out for the flock. We each have a responsibility. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. We all have a responsibility to reach out and pick up those who stumble in our midst. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 makes our responsibility in this regard very straightforward and very simple. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus' design for dealing with sin in our midst is very simple and very straightforward. He says that if my brother has sinned and I'm aware of it, I need to go and show him his fault in private between me and him alone. He doesn't say, uh, ignore it and say, well, I don't want to get into his business. He doesn't say, go talk to somebody else about it. He says, you go talk to him. And if he doesn't listen to you, if he persists in his sin, then you go and you take somebody else. Maybe somebody else with more spiritual wisdom. Maybe somebody else who has a closer relationship with him. If he doesn't listen to you, take it to the church, to the entire flock. And if he refuses to leave his sin behind, to be lifted up by the hands of all the church reaching out to him, then you need to take action to remove that influence from your midst, that he might be as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's pretty simple and straightforward. But brethren, more times than not, that is not how it happens. We need to recognize that, that I have a responsibility here, that if I am aware of sin in somebody's life, this is how I deal with it that I follow God's pattern. And the goal here, the end goal, all along the way, is that they might be restored, that that one that has fallen might be lifted up, that they might be in a right relationship with the Lord, that they might have a hope of eternity with Him. That is our motivation, our love for them. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul told uh, the Thessalonian brethren, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. We are to seek to put to shame those who persist in sin. But not as an end within itself. Church discipline is not... Okay, well, we've, we've done what we need to do. No, it's an, a means towards an end. That they might be restored, that we might admonish them as a brother, that they might be restored to the Lord. And yet I have a responsibility. It doesn't matter who I am within the body. I have a responsibility here to handle sin the way that God tells me to handle sin. And thus to protect my fellow sheep. But lastly, maybe the harder of the responsibilities here is to be accountable to my brother. Sometimes I may not be the one reaching out to the fallen. I may be the fallen. 
I may not be the one approaching somebody else about their sin. I may be the one whose sin needs to be addressed. It is at those times that I have the harder obligation of humbling myself, accepting correction, rebuke, allowing others to talk to me about my sin, opening my heart, opening my ears, and responding in the proper way. We recognize in the context of an established congregation that has shepherds, that shepherds have a certain amount of of authority in this regard that we must submit to. Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Uh, We recognize in that case there are those who very definitely have the responsibility to look out for my soul. Uh, And there is a certain level of obedience, of submission there. I I fear in a context where we lack shepherds, where we lack qualified men, I fear that the mindset can begin to grow that we don't want that. I, I don't want some authority that I have to submit to, some other person who has charge over my spiritual life. Um, who has been entrusted with my soul. Let's make sure that that is not the attitude that we develop here. That's God's design. We want that. We want qualified men. And we want to have submissive attitudes in that regard. But that doesn't just apply when we have qualified men who are shepherds. An attitude of submission applies across the board. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. We need to submit not just to elders, not just to shepherds. We need to submit to one another, have this attitude of humility towards all of our brethren. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, before he goes on to describe submission within the home of wives to their husband, children to their parents, and also later on uh, of slaves to their masters. He first says in Ephesians 5, verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We have an obligation to be subject, to be submissive, to be humbled before all of our brethren. And so if I'm in the situation of of Galatians 6 where somebody who is spiritual is coming to seek and restore me, I need to have the humble heart to accept that correction, to look into my own heart, to be willing to accept rebuke. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Do we believe that? I think sometimes we uh, rebel against the wounds of our friends. That hurts. We, we don't want that. We, we don't want the feeling of having been wrong, of needing to be corrected. But God tells us that that's what we need. We need those who love us enough to approach us about our sin, to talk frankly with us. And we need to have the humility to accept that, to respond to it in the way that God would desire for us to And so there is great blessing in the family of God, in the flock of God, in the body of Christ. That I can be nourished, I can be encouraged, I can be protected, I can have love and support. 
But if I want those blessings, I need to help give them. I need to love and support my brother. I need to develop the type of relationships that God would have me develop with my brother. I need to look out for and protect my brother. And I need to be willing to accept rebuke and correction when it is proper. What about you today? Are you fulfilling your obligations to the Lord's body? Maybe you're not a member of the Lord's church. Our first and greatest concern is not growing this local church. Our first and greatest concern is helping souls to come to be reconciled with their creator and to spend an eternity in his presence. If you're not a member of the Lord's church, God wants to save you. God, in his grace, has, has given you an opportunity to give your life over to him, to bury the old man of sin and baptism, to be raised to walk in newness of life. But as we care deeply about this spiritual family, we care deeply about the body and the flock here. We do have a great concern for the well-being and the growth of, of this group as well. Let's be developing the type of relationships that we need to. Let's make sure we're fulfilling our obligations. And if in time you decide that you want to be a part of that here, um, we, we would seek to, to welcome you in that and to encourage you as, as best we can. If there's anyone who, who needs to, to make some change publicly at this time, to, to make some need known, to ask for the prayers of the brethren, to commit their life to the Lord, we ask that you'll let us know at this time as we sing.